In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. And now back to our conversation with Mark Danzi. You talked about Jesus's model, and then you also spoke earlier about there were some things that you listened to in the group that you were in, and you said, yeah, I want to take these into my group and some things that you didn't. So I sometimes think that in in church, and probably this is uh, true in a lot of places, we want it to be step A, step B, step C. I do all this, mathematically it works out, and there's these disciples. But is that your experience? No, I it, that would be really a cookie-cutter approach. You know what I think is cool is God has not allowed anybody to write the perfect book on disciple-making. Uh, there's some great authors out there with some great resources, and we're always recommending books here. But um, for some reason, when somebody says, what's the perfect book, I there isn't one. Uh, there's some that, that has some really good ideas. And I think Robert Coleman, Master Plan of Evangelism, and which I think the title deceives people, it's really the Master's Plan on Disciple-Making. Um, he gives an eight-step approach in that book to how Jesus um, discipled those men, and it's a process that we can duplicate. The problem is, is that people come into our groups, women in your groups, men in my groups, and they come in at different places spiritually. So I literally will have a man in my group who has never, ever memorized a scripture to a guy who um, did a year of seminary before he quit, you know. And so you can't do... You can't start everybody at A and go to Z. You have to sense what does what does my group need next. So in order to do that, you've got to know those men. And Jesus knew men. He knew those men. You've got to know what they do, where they struggle, what they know, what they don't know. And so when when our discipling leaders come to me and say, Hey Mark, my group's been meeting for a year, what should we do next? <laughs> the question we get a lot. We get a lot of that, yeah. And um we we usually they're getting used to it now. We put back the the proposal of, well, what do they need next? And they usually walk away going, wow, I thought you'd just give me a list of resources and we'd just check them off. Now, I have some favorite go-to ones I use. I always I always want my guys to know um, what Romans 12 means. I think it's the greatest chapter on the Bible in disciple-making. And so um, we all, I, at some point early on in the first year, we're going to spend eight or 10 weeks on just Romans 12. So I have some go-to places I do. But I've never done any group the exact same way. We start with this, middle middle of the year is this, and then end with that one. Um, because I just think they come at different places. So there is some discernment. Um, but it really puts the burden on the disciple maker to be a listener, to observe, to notice where where the group is and where we need to prayerfully go next. So that's that's my approach to that. So that's good because that is listening then to the Holy Spirit and discerning what is needed for that group. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine that in the many groups now that you've led, you've witnessed God do some amazing things mm-hmm. in some of these uh, people's lives. So share about the fruit. What is oh, what yeah. does it look like? What does it Great smell place. like? <laughs> yeah, the fruit is what is what fuels the fire for discipleship. You know, when you when you preach to a group of people sitting there, uh, you don't know what's resonating, what's not. Occasionally you'll get an email and sometimes they're good uh, <laughs> uh, about a sermon or something, but you don't ever really see. I heard it said that you impress people from a distance, but you impact people up close. And so for me, 
the greater joy is in discipling six or eight men over preaching to six or eight, 600 or 800 men. I would take the small group every day over the larger group. And the reason is, I enjoy doing both, but the reason is I see more fruit come from those disciples. Um, and so some of the fruit is uh, a man who struggled with addiction of some kind. Maybe he's been addicted to uh, alcohol or pain pills. Sometimes I've had men who struggle with uh, sexual addiction, addicted to pornography, um, and they've never told anybody this. But now they're in a group of men where after a year, some of them after two years, feel like they can trust and share this. And um, Richard Rohr says we either transform our wounds or we transmit them. And so I see transformation of wounds happening in a discipleship group. So uh, I've seen men healed from addiction. I've seen men discern next career placement. I've seen men discern leaving their careers to go in ministry. I've had a, a, a wives walk up to me and say, my husband doesn't tell me what goes on in that group, but whatever you're doing, please keep it up because he's a new man. Wow. Yeah. And that, what's that worth, Right. That is like fuel to the fire for my passion to, to continue to disciple. Um, I've had pastors who I've coached who said, I'll never be the same. I'll never do ministry the same. I'm like, oh, me either. <laughs> <laughs> that makes two of us, you know. Um, and so I've seen men who said, you know, they, went, they moved from self, Jesus, knowing Jesus' salvation through his lordship. And what does it mean to let God own everything? Um, men have grown in their giving, um, in their serving. Um, you know, it, it's just really inspiring. And the best part of it, to me, is when you meet a man who says, hey, I'm your spiritual grandchild, and says, and, and of course, I know what they mean, but they're saying, yeah, I'm in David's group, and we've been in that group for two years, and I know you discipled David because he talks about that experience. That, my friends, that's amazing. I don't have grandchildren yet, but I have spiritual grandchildren. <laughs> and um, I hear from grandparents out there that grandchildren are actually better than children, <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but um, it's the only—it's it, a tangible fruit that you can say this person's life been affected by this person's life, and they were in my group and were affected by that. So um, I don't know when you meet somebody like that, it, or you see the men that you discipled now discipling others. It's like watching your children become parents, and they say you don't know what kind of parent you are until you see your grandchildren's mm. parenting style, and that really tells you what kind of parent you really were. And so that's a fourth generational approach. As Paul told Timothy, right? Right. So uh, that's just some of the fruit I see. I will tell you, though, I think it's like the tip of the iceberg. You know those pictures you see sometimes in offices? Right. You see like the tip of the iceberg, and then you see below the waterline, there's this huge block of ice, right? I think the fruit I've seen from this is only like seeing the tip of the iceberg. I really trust that below the surface is even greater fruit. Things that can't be measured, things that are deep work within that they are doing with God, even during the week that has nothing to do with what happens when you guys gather together. And Yeah, and, 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 um, and I have to trust that. And again, that goes back to what you said. It's, it's God doing the making. I've just got to create a spiritual environment where God can speak to his sons. And you, and you can create that environment where God can speak to his daughters. Uh, and then some accountability goes with that. Um, people thrive on accountability. We may not want to admit it, but um, we know that from just human nature. Left to our own devices, right. we never change. But when we have other people counting on us and we're counting on them, change occurs. And so I'd say watching hearts transform is is the most exciting thing I've ever seen in ministry. 
and I get a front row seat to it in my discipleship groups. Wow. Praise God. That's beautiful. Praise God. I realize that we've used the word group and discipleship group and covenant group. Can you sort of unpack that and even maybe talk a little bit about discipling one-on-one versus a group? Yeah. I, um, Jesus did both. Uh, we know that there are times he just discipled three, Peter, James, and John. Of course, according to John, you know, he was the one that, you know, Jesus really loved. And, <laughs> um, so he know, we know he spent individual time with each disciple, and, and then he had him in the groups. For me, um, I, I, there, I try to get to know people individually before I ever invite them into a group. So we don't, I don't ever put in the bulletin, hey, Pastor Mark's going to start a new group if anybody wants to join it. No. Jesus didn't walk along the Galilee with a sandwich board, and he selected the men that he had been in a relationship with. So I try to get to know these guys individually, playing golf with them, you know, fishing, having coffee, seeing them around the church, wherever. And I start listening for their spiritual language and just kind of doing my own assessment of where are they on the spiritual map, and then pray and start making a list. And I pray over these guys. And so for some of these guys, I'll be praying for them for six months. Some of them I've prayed for for a year. But at the end of that time, I can say to them, I want you to know that a year ago or six months ago, God put you on my heart. We met and talked. And I've been praying for you ever since. And I'm going to start a group. And I wonder if you will consider being a part of that. And for a lot of guys, they've never had anybody pray for them that long and then invite them to the next step. So many of them say yes. Some of them say no. I don't take it personal. But what I'll typically do with those ones that say no is just continue meeting with them one-on-one. And I do it in such a way as, hey, let's read a book together. Let's have coffee together. One of my uh, one guy that I discipled who's become a, just a great friend of mine was a golf pro. And uh, he golf pro in that he teaches golf in a golf center. So I started going to him for lessons. Well, those lessons evolved into we spent 30 minutes on my golf swing and 30 minutes on his soul. So he'd show me all I was doing wrong in my golf swing for 30 minutes. And then we'd go in his office, and I said, let's read this book together. Would you be interested? He said, sure. So we read Knowing God by J.I. Packer. We, re- we did this for almost a year, Beth, every Friday morning. And during that time, I'd say, you know, it'd be cool to start a group, wouldn't it? Like other guys do this. And he would always say to me, uh, I don't think I'm ready for that. Oh, no problem. So I just kept meeting with him one-on-one. Eventually, he said, yeah, I think that would be cool. And we started a group, and we were together for three years. Wow. And so... He wasn't ready for a group initially. Some guys are ready for a group initially. But if a guy rejects an invitation to a group, that doesn't mean he's rejecting me. It just means the timing's not right. So I have to ask the question, am I, am I willing to pour into this guy individually? But here's the problem with just pouring into somebody individually. They miss the group dynamic, and they only learn what I teach them. Well, I don't know it all. So if I can put them in a group with other men, they're going to hear from those other men about certain situations and the way they handle things, and their growth is going to be exponential. You know, imagine if you only took college, in college, if you only had one teacher your whole college career. All you'd know is what that guy knows or that woman knows. But if you had multiple, you'd learn more. And I see it that way in discipleship groups. So I think that sometimes we're called to disciple somebody one-on-one, but at some point, Jesus called them to be in a group, and we can't deny that, and we can't short-circuit that. And so whether it's in our group or some other discipleship group, we need them to be there. And that's kind of the way I see it. It's a it's a bigger picture than I just painted, but um, I think that makes it clear enough. You mentioned earlier about the messiness of disciple making, and yeah. I think that sometimes that does deter people, and that it, you know, we still have a personal life going on and struggles. So, 
What does that look like to be walking with someone or discipling someone and and it's messy? Well, uh, messy may not be the right word, but okay. it's the one I use, so we'll go with it. <laughs> you know, everybody in our group is a human. We were born in a fallen world. The world is broken, and um, but Jesus is healing people in this broken world. And so sometimes a guy in my group will be going through a divorce, and it's messy, and it's longer than he ever dreamed, and it's painful, and it comes up every week in our prayer requests. And so we need to lovingly be patient with this guy and love him through this. Um, you know, And then another guy may be going through a job loss, and another guy has a prodigal child. Um, hopefully that's not always the same guy, has all three of those. <laughs> but sometimes people have more needs than others at different times. I always say that when you approach your group each week, that uh, 20% of them are going to be in crisis in any given group. And hopefully it's not the same 20%. But you need to make room for that because it is soul care. And um, for people who think, well, that person's always being negative or that person's always got all these issues or challenges, well, that's why we're there to love them through that. And so uh, it would be easier not to hear about all their problems, which is why we like men like to talk about news weather sports. News weather sports, I don't have to get in the mess with you. But Jesus touched lepers. He, you know, spoke to a woman who was wrapped in shame. I mean, he met people in their hurts. And pastors, what we tend to do is refer those people to counseling. Oh, you got a big problem? Well, you need to go see a counselor. Whew, that's off my hands. Now I can work on my sermon. <laughs> but a pastor who believes in disciple making and is, and is walking through the hurts of life with people over a period of time, uh, it, is, it is challenging, but it's also rewarding. And, uh, and it requires patience, and it requires listening, and it requires compassion. And uh, for some pastors, that's a struggle. For some people, period, that's a struggle. Um, but that's, that's the way I see the mess, so to speak. Um, there's the, always the guy that thinks, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I'm too busy or, or whatever. And so you just got to kind of keep encouraging that one guy or that one woman. And so there's messes come in all types and forms. But I equate it to spiritual parenting. Think about this. You've got two kids, right? Yes. Um, I got four. We call them north, south, east, and west because that's the way they think and run. And and you can't just give up on your kid because they don't have the same values as you or think the way you do. You love them through it. I'd say parenting is messy sometimes, wouldn't you? Yes. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, so is spiritual parenting, but it's also rewarding and worth it. So do it anyway. Right, because I always think about when I read the Bible Maybe this is a woman thing because we like all the details and the words, but so many people walked away from Jesus and felt so loved, and yet we didn't get that whole story. The woman at the well, you know, he confronts her with all that she has done, and yet she runs away, and she's overjoyed because this man <laughs> saw everything she did. She had to have felt love. So it does sound like the way you're describing it, that this is a place where people can be them real, their real self. And they can get that encouragement, but that love and yeah. um, care that that we all need. So each week they come back and they continue because, as we know, with our kids and with life, we're in crisis now. But we may not be in three months. Mm-hmm. They, they pass, and so being able to even stick in that discipleship group, why you're in crisis? Yeah, it takes time and. You know, Jesus said, you'll know they're my disciples because they love one another. Well, that doesn't mean that if I see you at church and say, hey, brother, love you. You know, hey, love what you're doing. Hey, love seeing you here. That's not what he was talking about. Just saying the word is one thing. But when you're there for people, um, 
You know, we've had people in groups where a member of the group literally died. They had a disease, something happened, cancer, whatever. And to see the those that group come to that funeral, I've done those funerals. There's a bond. I mean, it's a deep spiritual friendship. And what I know about men is most men do not have deep spiritual friendships. And there's a reason, because they've never committed as a goal to have that. They may have friendships, long-term friendships, but not deep spiritual ones. And so I find that comes from the disciple group. At the end of that discipleship time together, you have deep spiritual friends. And that's Jesus said that's the litmus test of how you're going to know mine. They love each other. It's on display. And so I just kind of like to keep that before us, that at the end of the day, it's not about how much you know. It's not about all that you've done. It's about how your identity in Christ, proclaiming the image of God and loving other people. And um, that comes through. That's that's really what happens in a discipleship a discipleship group. At least that's been my experience. I think it's the surprise too that happens, the the oh, deep yeah. bonds and the friendship because they don't go in knowing each other all the time, and yet they leave and they are like, "This is the best thing I've experienced, the place I could be true." And I heard one of the women in my group the other day as um, we're talking about coming to an end of our three years together, and she said, "I don't want this to end." But I'm willing to start another group because I could do this again with another group of ladies. They'll experience that there, yeah. And have that same spiritual friendship again. Um, Mark, you are incredibly humble, but one of the best disciple makers I know. You uh, have led this well at our church and um, discipled many men for years and seen that spiritual fruit that you spoke about early earlier. And I just want to uh, say thank you for sharing a bit of your story with us today as we've been able to hear how Mark Danzy got passionate about disciple making. You flipped the tables on me. I'll give you that. <laughs> well, we wanted to know more about <laughs> this and this podcast and why we're talking about disciple making. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff in the church, but mm-hmm. this is what Jesus did, and it's powerful. It really is. I I will tell you that um, doing it is a blast. I'll, I'll be a disciple maker until I die. You don't retire from disciple making. You may retire from pastoral ministry or something. But, but in the process of that, um, I've been able to work with other pastors out there, and it's a treat. It is a treat. I want to I want to tell this one story because I want to um, congratulate him. There's I have this pastor who lives in a another state. His name is Jim, and Jim called me one day um, out of the blue. And he just said, hey, Mark, I met you at a conference or something. He goes, what was that book you recommended on discipleship? Well, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) There's a bunch of them. So we got to talking, and I kind of did this little interview with him. And I said, so, well, before we get into all that, what's your role at the church? And it was discipleship and all this stuff. And I asked him this question. Now, I did not remember this until he reminded me of this a year later. But he said I asked him this question. And it was, I said, well, tell me about the men you're personally discipling. I know you're pastor of church. And he started telling me all about their programs and their mission trips and their walks to Emmaus and their Bible studies and all this stuff. And according to him, I said, and I'm not normally this rude, I don't know, but he said, I told him, I didn't ask you about your programs and your ministry. I asked you about the men you're discipling. And him explaining to me later about this, he said, Mark, I didn't have a name of anybody. And he said it was humiliating because here I'm talking about a book on it and starting it, and yet I'm not even doing it. And so in that conversation, it led to a friendship, and he and I worked together over months and got to visit his church and all. And from there, 
uh, he called me one day and he said, Mark, I got to tell you something. He said, I was preaching in the Sunday and I was telling them about what you challenged me on the first time we talked, that you asked me about the men I was discipling and I started blowing smoke at you about all the programs and I didn't have a name. He said, but let me tell you now, after a year, let me tell you about the six men that I'm discipling. He said, let me tell you about Jim. Let me tell you about David. Let me tell you about Gary. And he said, Mark, it felt so good to ask my people to do something and to show them as an example that I am doing it. And so I found that to be so encouraging to me uh, because most pastors out there are so caught up in ministry stuff that when you put Jesus's example of making disciples up against their ministry, it looks nothing like it. And I know that because that was what I did for years. And so we're still learning and we're, we believe in this podcast so much because we think that it's going to if nothing else, just create curiosity, light a spark that um, that pastors out there, leaders, lay people, anybody will learn how to live the Great Commission as a lifestyle. And to me, that is the most rewarding ministry I have ever, ever done. Because you said this work was not flashy. You know, it's not going to be the hottest thing. But you also talked about the deep fruit. So it, this mm-hmm. is that place. This podcast, this 419 Disciple Makers, can be the place where we talk about the the slow work that's happening in disciple making that's not flashy, and it's not going to be on billboards around town. <laughs> We're never going to be famous or anything like that, so I'm not even worried about that. What I hope to do is to weekly bring encouragement into the life of the person who's trying to live out the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. Um, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors, yourself, and go and make disciples. And so, um, you know, we know this is happening because we're hearing back from people. And so I would just say, uh, share this with people that you know. Um, Who knows where, you know, the spark could be lit in their heart to follow the Great Commission. But uh, we have resources on our website all over, 419schoolofdisciplemakers.org. You'll be blown away with the amount of resources on that website and videos. And it's all free. We never want to charge for anything like that. Give it away. Freely we've been, you know, we've received, free to give. And uh, we want to continue to do this and interview great people like you. I want to flip the tables and interview you next. <laughs> sometime. <laughs> sometime. Sometime. But we are thankful for this, that you have created this space, that we can talk about these things and um, and get that encouragement that we all need in disciple making. So thank you to you as our host for continuing to uh, show up here weekly with us and our listeners so that we can learn more about this. And um, Thank you, Beth. Yeah. And, and I'd like to thank the listeners because uh, without you, we'd just be talking to each other. I and mean, we have been talking to each other for a long time about this. But our desire is to see the church reclaim the disciple-making process that Jesus started 2,000 years ago and told us to do it. And so that is that is what we should be about. So thank you for listening today. And uh, don't worry, I'm flipping the tables on Beth. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> she's... Sometimes. There's a lot of wisdom behind that little giggle y'all are hearing right now. I promise you that. And I look forward to that. So thank you, Beth. Thank you, Mark. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers podcast.